Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of the final season of NBC's This Is Us. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're talking about the season premiere of season six called The Challenger. Oh boy, Paul. This one got started off with a kind of a stomach ache for me. We were both in third grade, right? When the Challenger happened. Grade three. This played out exactly the same way for me as it did for the Pearson kids of sitting in that classroom and watching the Challenger actually explode. And I really felt honest to God sadness watching it again. In my school, since it was such a small school, it's uh-huh. basically like an assembly where they gathered kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade all into one area to watch a TV that they had wheeled in on a cart. So all the teachers, the librarian, you know, whoever else wanted to see this was all gathered into one area, just the same as you saw here. If you're too young to have experienced this in real life. Or maybe too old and and you weren't in elementary school at the time when this was happening. This this was a real depiction of exactly what happened. Same with me, Paul. I mean, I was in another state than you and, and we had the same exact experience. They had the doors open between classrooms and we were all gathered around the exact response of that teacher of, of you know, grabbing at her mouth and being scared and all that. I mean, it was frightening. I remember when when they wrote on the board that said Cape Canaveral, whatever, lover. I recall from being a kid on that day, teachers were calling it Cape Kennedy. And I was looking up, when was it called Cape Kennedy? And it turns out it was only a very short amount of time from 1963 when LBJ said, you know what, we're going to call this Cape Kennedy. Okay to 1973 when the voters of Florida said, no, we're not, we're calling it Cape Canaveral again. So at your school, they put Cape Kennedy on the board? There were just teachers colloquially still calling it Cape Kennedy. I think I recall maybe a TV person referring to it as Cape Kennedy, but it's Kennedy Space Center on at, Cape Canaveral. At Cape Canaveral, That yeah. makes sense. And, uh, you know, I, I was actually taken by the handwriting on the board even because, you know, I'm I'm a former teacher in a, in a public school classroom. And just to see, like, the, the cursive writing on the board, I don't know, my heart, everything about it, it just hit me just in a certain way. I don't know if it's because it's near the holidays and I'm feeling all sentimental. I don't know what my problem is, but I'm just telling you, that whole Challenger thing, it, it was a gut punch for me. Well, and it's the theme for this episode. It's how are the kids processing a big deal in their life? I was trying to come up with the theme. It, like, is it like uh, expectations versus what actually happens? Is it, you know, because I was trying to tie in the Randall portion too. Is it, you know, perceiving a situation one way and then having it actually play out and it plays out a completely different way than you thought it was going to, Um, you know, down to the birthday party, it's a celebration, but then all of a sudden it's an outburst in this news, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so I was trying to come up with the exact wording, but I think the general theme is you think one thing's going to happen and then twist completely something different happens and you now have to process that, especially at different ages and stages of your life, how do you process that? We definitely visit with each Pearson and see how, you know, they process and how that's affecting really every aspect of their life throughout their lifetime. Paul, I have to ask you. Mm -hmm. So we are so accustomed to this show following a very specific formula, most specifically starting off in September with the Big Three's birthday. Right. What do you think about the idea that we are starting in January and we're going to have this abbreviated season 
all in our spring, really, for the most part, winter into spring. For our Pearsons, though, it's all messy for me, right? Because we normally would have a Thanksgiving episode and a Christmas episode and all this stuff. Like, how do you think this is going to play out? And how do you feel about seeing a September Pearson birthday in January? I'm a little thrown off. And whether or not they are going to make up that time in the show and not, say, do what they normally do, which is depict Thanksgiving, depict a little bit of Christmas, etc., etc., or if they're just going to jump ahead to where we are now, I don't know yet. For my own watcher's satisfaction, I know that they have so much ground to cover that if they did go, instead of going day by day, going kind of week by week, month by Almost month. year by year um, at this point. Then that would make some sense. Like, for instance, we know from last season's finale that we have a divorce and a wedding to get to in Kate's life. We didn't see necessarily all the pieces we needed to see out of Kate and Toby this week to know how that's going to look. I don't feel like we saw anything between the Philip, Kate and Toby situation that would have implied where we're going to go with this. You know, most especially I could not figure out why exactly they were showing us how Philip handled a breakup, apparently with with a woman he was dating like that looked like a very toxic individual I would never want to get involved with. So the idea that we only have a handful of episodes to get to Kate marrying him? What I could think of with that. Now, this is a stretch. All right, I'm listening. Be- because he has not shown much. But allowing this birthday rendition of the Cindy Lauper classic Time After Time um, by the students, mm-hmm. perhaps in other years with other, other assistants, he might have said, fuck off, children. Um <laughs> That would have been highly inappropriate. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I mean, he definitely had, you know, that that intro to her, like, I had nothing to do with this, and I think it's ridiculous. But then you could see when she's starting to cry, he's gazing at her from the side and clearly getting, you know, satisfaction out of her enjoying it. And so you can see that, yes, some of the ice is, is starting to thaw between them. Yeah. You know, she keeps him in her phone as Philip the mean jerk. Yeah, that, well, so, so there's a... <laughs> There's quite a bit There's of work to do there, to work with. but, but yeah, uh, the other piece is, you know, obviously clearing out one girlfriend and we know that he, he needs to make room for another. Okay. Um, and this is another stretch because we haven't seen enough of Philip to know this. He is thinking about Kate and he can't have this other woman around, you know, in his own odd way. Okay. He's he's setting her free because she's wasting her time with him. Okay. Well, you know, I will go with that because I don't have any other explanation as to why we need to see such a I'm really nasty interaction between him and someone he is dating. So I, I mean, mean it was funny. It's funny, but it doesn't give me warm... we don't care about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if our Pearson is about to become married to this person you don't want to think that that's his capacity for behavior as her partner. So for me, it's not, it has nothing to do with this other woman. You know, it just has to do with like, that's the way you treat people who you're involved with. Like that's alarming and not very um, calming for me when I know that Kate is going to become married to him in the future. I'm nervous about all of these things. Now, having said all of that, Obviously, this season has got to get into hyperspeed, right? I mean, we have to. I don't know how they are going to accomplish all of the uphill 
emotional work that has to be done between these two characters and for the audience to buy in. It's one thing they can show us in like a montage, you know, oh, look, over the next five years, these two find this common ground and fall in love with each other. They can show that in a couple minutes. But as the audience, are we going to fall in love with this guy and, and be okay with it? Well, what we've seen out of Philip is how he has treated someone that he was probably very attracted to because they picked a TV pretty woman. Right. But he wasn't actually interested in and didn't love. We've seen him do that, which was in one way honorable, but in not in the great ways that we like to see people treat other people like you just said. We haven't actually seen how he treats someone that he loves. Okay, that's fair. How I treat people that I love versus how I treat people that I am merely okay with is is quite a gulf. <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe Philip and I are not too dissimilar. I mean, he's quite a bit more upfront with his feelings than I am, but that's all I've got to go on with the guy at this point, right? Because we've seen so little of him. Yeah. So what do we think about, you know, tying it back to this pattern of the of the flashback little guy, Kate? Her basic response from the challenger is kind of this super sweet, you know, naive believing you know good thoughts i mm -hmm. feel like you know believe in heaven and and that the goldfish is somehow gonna help to take care of the astronauts and that kind of thing i mean what do we how do we feel like that applies to today's kate and and how she's going through processing rebecca and oddly though she's not actually processing anything in my opinion nothing actually bad happens to her in this while with kevin and randall they both have some like actual milestone moments that they're dealing with and having to process would you say that kate is having something she has to kind of like conquer or process or get through in this episode i think the theme with kate is going to be progress like positive progress in the areas that matter to her at the beginning of this story as they showed in the alternating flashbacks she was very consumed with her weight and that being the central issue of her character and her person. And now they show her opening up the fridge. You know, she may still think about weight. I don't know. But she's got the same strategy, the labeling the food. But now it's it's the different kids meal planning strategy that she has. And she seems cool with that. This is this is her forward progress. She was thinking positively about the Challenger accident and, and that sort of stuff. And maybe that's supposed to be this indicator of, of her overall outlook into being this healthy person. Projecting this flimsy theory onto her relationship with Toby, this long distance thing has got a lot of potential for problems. As much as having birthday massages in your house and that kind of thing, you know, sound dreamy, Kate might actually be a I need to see my husband every day kind of person. The moment that she has with the masseuse where she says, you know, this is all so different. This isn't usually the way that Toby would handle things. You know, he's outsourcing, yeah. you know, the gestures. Then she kind of pulls the challenger response and says, but, you know, maybe it's simpler this way. You know, smooths it over for herself and is like, well, you know, I still got the massage and my kids are still taken care of. And he did it via telephone. Now, the thing that a little bit threw me was Toby actually showing up at the end. That sort of reset the progress for me. It kind of backed us back up. And I was like, oh, shoot, because had she gone to bed and was satisfied with her birthday, spending it without Toby 
And having spent it with the kids at school, having spent it getting a massage, having the family birthday, then I would say, okay, this is real progress for Kate. This is without Toby, she's completely content and able to go to sleep on her birthday, completely happy and satisfied. He did show up and she is happy he's there. And so then it's like, oh, shoot, you know, did we actually make that progress or not? Now, maybe that's Kate in a nutshell. Two steps forward three steps back. You never really 100% feel the progress until you get so far down the line, you can look back and say like, oh, wow, no, we've had major progress to the point where when she says to Kevin, don't you remember where I was five years ago? I face planted off a scale. We almost needed that as the audience to say, no, you guys, I know my progress has seemed way more like, again, like that stop, start, stop, start. But looking back, look how far I've come. I almost think we needed that line. Like the writers almost felt it. Like we got to remind audiences how far this gal's come. You know, to remind you, she's not you, Caroline, because you already know. But <laughs> but other, other listeners, Kate has pretty much buried the mother-daughter hatchet with Rebecca by this point. This has already mm. happened. These are personal journeys that she's on currently that have to do with her and her immediate family and her own self. Like I said, I think she's, you know, the weight thing she may or may not give a shit about at this point. I don't know, but it doesn't seem to be her thing now. It's it's how she's dealing with her relationships with her husband, raising her kids. These are all challenges that are going to be central now. To And the weight thing is probably like, ah, who's got time for that? I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Mm, that's uh, the, the progress issue that I mentioned earlier that that's, I think where I see Kate, maybe you're, maybe the, maybe they're closer to heaven. Logic applies to what you're saying about the, well, maybe it's better this way that he's outsourcing. Yeah. But, that's how she said it. Like it's simpler this way, right. you know, like that's how she kind of just smoothed it over. Like he's not here, but I am getting my needs met. So maybe it's okay that he's not here. It's like an incomplete thought. Like, yeah. like a year later, you might ask little girl Kate about the challenger and she might say, that's just very sad. I, I'm I'm sorry that happened to those people. Well, you know, kind of more grown up thought rather than or that other thought. And so maybe that's what we're going to see with Kate this season to help her progress to whatever it is she fully needs. I'm sad to see the future with without Toby because there's a lot of positive things that I like about Toby. But like I mentioned a second ago, this working away from home business, and we've seen Toby, to put it, uh, I guess, mildly, feel very flattered when he gets the attention of, say, women that Kate doesn't know about. That's almost built in to, the, to a TV situation where someone's working far away from home, and we know that there's a divorce coming up. True. We also see that Toby doesn't do well under stress. And they showed even in just the small little blip how stressful this position is. So knowing those two nuggets about him and how much he tends to kind of push away, tends to isolate himself when that happens, it would be not too much of a stretch to see that he could have some sort of breakdown, you know, in the coming episodes. I, again, it's very hard because they really set this episode up as like things were going pretty good. You know, Kate was handling it. She wasn't pulling her hair out about taking care of the children. She wasn't losing it about her being alone on her birthday. Like you said, getting along great with the rest of the family. She seems like she has a great support system. We're not set up at this moment to feel like that marriage is going to come crashing down. But not unlike the challenger, I think it's going to be like the unforeseen twist. Something's going to happen where we feel like everything's moving smoothly until it's not. The only other member of the big three that Kate was able to celebrate with in person was Kevin. This whole aspect of living in Madison's garage, what do you think about how this is going? 
it seemed like the logical step to the side of their relationship, not really dealing with it, which is 100% what we got as little guy Kevin's reaction to the challenger, just basically creating a, a fantasy in his brain of how it could be and not really accepting reality for what it is. So not dealing with it, but just stepping to the side and sort of being like, well, if I'm just over here, it's not that bad. Now, I was kind of surprised to see the jealousy in him, um, you know, with the addition of Elijah, the book club friend. That felt a little bit like, you know... I sure hope that if he does all of a sudden realize he loves Madison, he better find some traits about her that he truly loves. And it's not just, I just don't want anyone else to have her because that's not love. You know, that feels sad. <laughs> so Madison seemed actually, especially her delivery, I felt like, I felt like she was really healed about this in a way like even when he explained that the stuff was going on with Rebecca she just kind of looked down she didn't rush to him and say oh my god I'm so sorry and give him a big hug or something you know she stayed distant you yeah. know she said she said you know I'm sorry but she had some pretty big boundary lines between the two of them that I thought she would break at that moment to be honest I really thought she would she would kind of melt at that emotional vulnerability with him and like come right to him but she didn't she knows where she stands i think kevin all over the place what did you think about kevin's you know sort of this whole manny opportunity and and basically where he ends up at kate's if he winds up with madison which is part of the show's mysteries it will be a climb for him that he will have to earn he sort of fell into this situation and then he built in the babies which he thought was just like going to make him a shoe in i think for just sliding into this easy ready to go family he never as is well documented he never developed that full sense of spousal girlfriendal love for madison that she needed that he needed to make the relationship real and, and lasting this is going to give him that chance to decide Truly, if that's the way he wants to go, or if he was just feeling kind of obligated and pushed to go that way, just from some lingering sense of right, wrong, Jack would do this sort of thing. That's where you get this, I'll just move into the garage thing, which, to be honest, a lot of guys would do. If, I mean, all my shit's already there, my kid's there, so maybe we'll try that. Where this gets good and promising for these two wide-eyed kids is that he does take that step. He's like, well... I need to go. And so I don't know if this thing at Kate's is going to work, if he's going to finally buy his own place, which he's never had. Well, um, we know what's going to ultimately happen. He's going to build the, the place out at the Yeah, but cabin. that's in Pennsylvania. They're still in L.A. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that has to go on here. Yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, the reboot with the Manny means he gets to work in L.A. And so this is piecing together what could be a foundation for making a true honest to God run at Madison, which I'm all for making a situation where he's not smothering her. She gets to decide also if she wants him rather than just like, well, he's always around. I got used to your face kind of love, yeah. which is, I think something that we talked about last season, which can work, but we know for Kevin that he had to convince himself that that would work. Whereas he is got this Jack fireworks love that he needs he needs to feel that storybook sort of and then they were together kind of thing can it work yes it can can it work better with sophie 
Yes, it would. But I'm, I'm more for Madison at this point because I'd make a whole messy situation with Sophie. This is cleaner and mm. more doable in a season with uh, with Madison. I struggle with that one. I struggle about Sophie, Madison, or a third woman that comes into the scene. I mean, remember, we still have Cassidy out there. Who knows if there's still a chance for that one? I am rudderless when it comes to Kevin, especially in his love life. Now, for his career, I think the reboot of The Manny makes so much sense it's ridiculous like the idea of him being the dad and there being twins and this whole thing oh my gosh and like what fantastic writing with the whole i was gonna i was gonna lick the seat to get myself covid <laughs> that whole thing uh, that I, was wicked i was like oh <laughs> that was biting i looked up what you might expect to earn were you kevin taking this cushy reboot job an experienced lead actor on a sitcom that's not like Friends or The Big Bang Theory, which we have no reason to think that Manny would be Manny Reboot. Could make seventy-five dollars to $100,000 per episode. Sitcoms run on like the TGIF lineup. And that's how old I am, is TGIF was a thing. Would be a 24-episode season. So you do the math. It's, a, it's, it's quite a bit of money a, a year. Given that he's returning from the old show, he might be able to ask for more than that. I mean, I would think that given the popularity of the Manny, I mean, remember, they've sprinkled throughout the entire thing. Everyone always recognizes him. They expressed, how, you know, that this was a hit show. Yeah. So, I mean, I would expect he could be given, it would not be crazy to me if you got me like a million dollars an episode. That, it really that's, wouldn't. That's Big Bang Theory money. That's, that's what uh, I would actually expect. Johnny Galecki and Jim's, Jim Parsons were making that an episode. And even back and in the 90s, Friends that's what the Friends were, were making yeah, per episode. Yeah, that's what I would expect. And so, I mean, I do think that this is the huge nest egg that becomes the cabin and being able to just throw around the money in any which way that he wants to, you know, yeah. taking care of Rebecca and all that. I mean, I think this is the money that that provides all of that. Although, again, we haven't seen that he's ever struggled with money at all. I suspect he's fine, but this certainly does give him that just kind of no brainer job. Like he can just be like, oh, back from filming the Manny for today. And we can just kind of forget about any of his financial concerns. The, the bit with the with the studio exec or the producer, I think he's probably a producer. I, I always get a little chuckle. I have to imagine that when actors get to portray these behind the camera types, mm. they have a lot to go on and they can pull so much in terms of what they don't like <laughs> and bring it to their performance in terms of maybe a person who is extra smug, extra detached, extra this, extra that, and just stick it on there. Because um, this guy was hilarious. You know, remember like Tom Cruise from Tropic Thunder? Yes. How it was just like every studio exec that has ever been described, I guess, the quote unquote fat cat kind of guy. I bet the guy that portrayed this, the Manny producer, is actually probably a very jovial, loving Perfectly fun human to be around, but this guy with the licking the seats for COVID, <laughs> I mean, that was super funny stuff. Yeah, it was excellent. But also, I mean, I think about that guy and how he was burned to have Kevin just walk off the set and yeah. everything. I mean, can you imagine having a hit show and having your actor just basically lose it and walk away and, and cause you to lose your entire career, you know, moving forward and you're just struggling? I mean, well, the show's been canceled <gasps> and they have. Manny posters. Could you imagine being this guy, kind of loathing Kevin Pearson for fucking up your life, right? Your money, your paycheck, your kid's stability, and then keeping his posters up in your office that you have to look at every day 
because you can't take them down because that's the one thing you're known for. So when you take meetings or something, you got to remind people, hey, I'm the guy that had that hit show. But you got to look Kevin in the face every day. Yeah, no, I would not. Want <laughs> I would I would put it somewhere else where maybe it's I mean, behind my about, head. This guy's the bigger man, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, ultimately, I think it's the exact right move for him to move to this reboot, though. So I'm completely okay with what they've laid out here in front of us. I am curious to see this, this you know, Madison-Kevin thing because I think while Kevin may come around and find out he loves Madison, I don't know if I'm Madison if I open my heart up again and go that direction. Like, I don't know how it would feel to be like, I loved you and then I basically had to heal myself. I had to stop a wedding and I had to heal myself over to, to be okay to be around you and not be with you. And then now you've decided you love me. Like, what am I going to do with this information now? You know, how is this actually going to work? So that's fair. I don't know if Madison can be endgame. We know that Sophie is out there. We know we've seen those little clips of her seeing, you know, uh, Kevin up on the big billboard and all that kind of stuff. We know she's still out there and still a potential. So we'll see. Even though I was perfectly happy with them having that ending, you know, where they got the closure on the movie and all that stuff. Remember that whole scene in the car, mm-hmm. you know, and they saw the ending together. And that was supposed to be truly like neatly wrapped up with a bow. So I don't need to go back to Sophie. I mean, I don't need Winnie Cooper and Kevin Arnold to have gotten married. I don't need Kevin and Sophie to be married. Again, let's say again, because <laughs> they did that already. It seems like in a lot that's of a ways. a girl that would be putting her heart out there. Uh, again. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Kevin is not an ideal partner. <laughs> just well, that's that. what I was about to say is that Elijah shares an interest. Right. He is super helpful. Very and like, low key. Yeah. The opposite of like whatever an intimidating partner might be in terms of like, well, my partner is a movie star for someone that's just kind of like dumped into it. Like Madison, that might be kind of a undue weight, you know, unless you were like raised in that. Ex- that oh, no, kind very of experience. much. Remember when it was like, wait a minute, you expect me and the twins to follow you around on movie sets and all this stuff. Remember, I mean, yeah. she was not looking forward to that life. Whereas this guy's a book nerd. Yeah, if they seems... wanted to play D&D that night, I bet they would. I think they could. And and they seem perfectly happy together. I don't know. They're, ooh, it's an uphill battle for these, these birds. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do. But I appreciate the pattern carrying out from the Challenger little guy thing that, like, Kevin really takes longer than all the rest of them to process it. He takes much longer to come around to realize, you know, what the situation really is. And then once he does, it's a big wow, you know, and and he has to kind of move forward with this major, you know, realization like mom and dad are going to die, you know, and he's kind of has to put that all together again. Right. The I I want the world to stop for mom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, that, I mean, what a moment. I feel that way so much. You know, we just had Christmas and we didn't really have Christmas because many of our family members had COVID and so we couldn't get together. And in a lot of ways, didn't you have that feeling of like, well, then no one should have Christmas. Everybody should put it on pause. Why should anyone have Christmas if we can't have Christmas? I do. I do exactly know what you're talking about. That if we had to lose out on Christmas, it feels like everybody should get sort of like a, well, a, a like pause. a four week span to say, this is all Christmas. Well, and like, and that you should continue to have time off. Like the kids shouldn't have had to had to go back to school because we didn't have Christmas yet. Like you shouldn't have to go to work yet because we didn't have Christmas yet. Like it just feels like a pause button should have been hit. Not that we missed out, but like that everyone should just stop because 
we have to deal with this. And that's how I felt like with Kevin, like he's just saying everybody needs to just stop. The whole world cannot continue on with their lives. They all can't go back to work and go back to school because we have mom to deal with. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I felt. And I, I feel this and I know we have tons of family and friends who have been, you know, pushing Christmas off into January. So this is all very familiar. You know, they're hitting on a lot of key, you know, moments for for us, at least, you know, this is us. <laughs> this is us. All right, then let's move on to the final member of the big three, Randall, and what was going on in his life, his ongoing, never-ending journey through life to do good for others takes on yet another chapter in this season. This guy, I mean, they they outline it with, in case you missed it, <laughs> then, they, then they do the whole catcher in the rye bit saying that Randall is always going to feel like he has more to give, more people to help, and it's an endless cycle for him. And that's true. That's what we run into with them, run, them the police, finding the man that broke into their house. Did you have any expectations going into this meeting because Randall wanted to I guess meet him you know look him in the eye etc etc did the fact that David is actually very mentally impaired for some unknown reason is not really even responsible for these actions in the same way that you might consider a career criminal Um, did that turn surprise you I think it's a realistic portrayal of somebody who would have done like sort of this petty theft breaking into a, an empty house kind of person, you know, turning out to just grab some some loose jewelry for, for uh, you know, and pawning it for drug money. My guess is that his mental impairment is coming from addiction, and that's basically what was implied that, you know, Randall said, this reminds me of Kevin, or this, this reminds me of, you know, basically other addicts in his life. David was even further along than I would have expected, I think, when he just kept saying, like, do you know what they did with my dog? Do you know if I could get water? And he just, he didn't even recognize that he had broken into Randall's house. He just said, you're the man from my picture. You know, all those things, I think he was more far gone than I expected because, you know, a lot of times you get a drug addicted person portrayed as, you know, kind of um, aggressive or or would have just been like, I don't know, man, like and kind of ignored him or whatever. But he seemed so almost innocent in like a I just have no idea what's going on kind of way that that was further than I guess I thought. You know, he could have been like, I don't know, man, I can't remember yesterday, much less a year ago. He was even worse than that. Like he seemed like he couldn't remember moment to moment. Yeah. Um, and so I could see the compassion for for Randall. I know that, uh, or I can sense from your the way that you're talking that you're kind of fed up with Randall's. Uh, I like the way they put it, a compulsion for <laughs> for for being so open hearted and wanting to help others. I wouldn't say fed up. It's it's just it's true to his character. It's it, it is what he is. So I wouldn't say fed up. I would just say more like I feel for him that he will probably never reach that moment where he feels like, all right, I've helped everybody. One guy can help. There's no way to reach that plateau. You know, do you think that that's the goal of people who help? Do you think that they're trying to get to this this number that then they'll be finally satisfied? Like, do you Mm -mm. do you feel that way? I feel like I feel like they're they're described in this piece where they're like, they'll always be able to identify someone else and never find that, comp- that final satisfaction that they've possibly done enough when they've done 
you know, a million times more than Joe average to help see, another person. But see, you're kind of saying it without saying it. You're saying, but they never find that satisfaction. And I'm saying, do you think that's the goal of that person is to find satisfaction in helping people like that? There's a that there's like a thermometer thing where they're just trying to hit that top number of people helped mm. and then they're satisfied. I think I'm projecting the way that I help people then, uh, which is see, yeah. you have this problem. I'm going to I'm going to give you the help that I can. You know, whether you reach the goal or not, that's the help I can give to you for this problem, you know? Sure. I mean, do you know people like this in your life? Uh, yeah. I think I'm talking to one. <laughs> that's why I'm so curious because, yeah, I mean, I'm completely a Randall. A thousand percent, I'm a Randall. Like, I'm always finding the next person who could use help and I'm a hundred percent called to help that person. It's interesting. Only in the last like two years of my life, somebody asked me what I do for a living. Now for our listeners, I don't have a, a nine to five job, but my profession is teaching by my background. I, what I said to the person is I'm a helper. Like I essentially go wherever I'm needed. I've sat on several different boards. I have been an advocate in the special needs community. Like I do Anything where I see a need, a void for a helper is where I step in. And that doesn't come with a paycheck. And that's not, but I feel called like a priest would feel called or a doctor feels called or whatever different professions. I feel like a true calling to that. And there isn't any, there is no thermometer that it goes to the top. And I feel like I've hit, the, <laughs> I get the tote bag because I like hit the number, you know, like there is no like content. The, the content and the satisfaction comes in the act of actually helping there is it isn't a number it isn't a a certain whatever it's i get full satisfaction when i feel like the person that i'm reaching a hand out to steps up that next rung of the ladder that's it that's the moment like i i don't need more than that so i could see for randall how he's desperate to have david turn the tide of this pattern that the man has and, and and is thinking if I could get him to the shelter and I could get him a bed and we could get like, you know, just like you have to hit those like basic necessities, you know, food, shelter, clothing, let's meet those needs. And then I assume his next steps would have been help him with mental health or addiction or, you know, those types of things. Like that's where he would have moved to next. How disappointed were you when you saw David not show up or did you know he was not going to show up? Did you think uh, he was going to be the next William that suddenly he was going to be helped? Well, for one thing, I believe that Randall is probably going to find David's dog and take care <laughs> of David's dog. Hilarious. Okay. Yeah, that I can see that happening. He's going to go inquire about the dog. I see that. Okay. And then, you know, showing him outside the, the shelter like that, that was, you know, dramatically staged to, to, to emphasize that Randall's going to hold up his end of this, this bargain, even though he probably suspects it's not going to lead anywhere for David right then. Do you think that, or do you think he thought with his whole heart, he was just hoping that David would show up? Like, Oh, hoping. Sure. But Beth was like, yeah, but Beth's not Randall. I mean, you said Beth was, or that Randall was probably knowing he wasn't going to show up. Do you really think that? Or do you really think he thought, nah, this this guy's definitely going to show up? I don't know. And you can hope the, and know opposite things, right? Did he do the right thing by bailing out a known criminal? That's That would be like my one criticism. I guess you couldn't necessarily just babysit David for the rest of the day and David's life. This dude is homeless. 
Where is he going in that in that inter well, span of time? He there is a known threat. That's the problem. It, it, I mean, right. he was wielding a knife with Randall, and whether or not he remembered doing that, or whether or not he had like clear understanding of what he was doing no, in the moment. He's running on instinct, and his instinct is he, to steal and use knives. Uh, yeah, and like you just let that back out in your neighborhood. Like, was that okay? Because you thought you could help. Like, I'm trying to weigh the whole thing of like, okay, I'm a helper and I'm definitely a Randall. But did you just, you know, create a situation where one of your own kids could get held up this week coming off the school bus for their lunch money kind of thing? Because oh, now yeah. you let David back out on the street. like so. Or, or another problem, you know, just, right. just some random constituent gets held up, mugged, whatever. I mean, it's almost like a guarantee. Like, David doesn't have another choice. He doesn't have another way to survive on the street. So what, I mean, what else is this man going to do besides that? Mm, man, the, the altruism of the effort can't be doubted, but the approach him probably thinking, well, is jail any kind of place for this guy? Right, well, right. actually maybe. Yeah. Maybe I mean, he's going to be fed. Term? He's going to be. Or maybe housed. just in the short term again, like you, sometimes you have to protect someone from themselves. Yeah. So maybe jail is not the right place per se, but is, you know, being on the cold street where he's going to break into someone else's house and hold up another family. Is that a good choice too? like, it's all bad choices. You know, it's all a bad option. You, do, you don't want to have to have any of these. But I feel bad for the innocent people who David is now has to prey upon because he doesn't have another way. I feel bad about that. And and that part of Randall is a struggle for me. He's got this goldfish memory, this guy, right? And you're asking him to remember several hours later after getting bailed out that he couldn't needs even to remember go to moment shelter. to moment. Yeah, I mean that was rough. That was really rough. And here's the, here's the worst part too. David could have had every single intention of showing up at that shelter, but like you just pointed out, five minutes later he could have forgot he was supposed to go to the shelter. So mm-hmm. it's not even like he was purposely letting Randall down or right. making a choice to fulfill his agreement. He just can't fulfill his agreement. So like, what do you do in that scenario? Let's get to being the spouse of Randall and how Beth handles everything. Because again, you are the spouse of a helper. You know, how do you deal with it when perhaps your own family and other, you know, concerns are being put to the side in order to allow your spouse to be a helper? Well, Beth is supportive. She's understanding. She gives him a second chance to open door number Beth. <laughs> She's such hot business. I love her. Um, her delivery is like. <laughs> I, I, she is so easy with some of those lines. That... I know. It's so real, right? Like they're the most real couple on TV. The way that they give and take, the way that they interact. Sometimes I wonder, like, do they write their lines completely differently for those two than they do everybody else? And I think, no, I think it's just the two of them. You know, the way that they respond to each other, the way their chemistry is just, just spot on. You know, Sterling gets a lot of credit with various wins and nominations and stuff like that. But it's almost like, you know, when there's an MVP on a football team, right? You don't even realize that there's all these other great players propping them up. Yes. You know? Yes. And that's what Susan does here is she's really good <laughs> on her own. She'd be just fine holding she's up tremendous. a show. You know, as the, these actors all move on past this show, I could definitely see Susan and Sterling. I, I hope they give them an opportunity to do a spinoff. You know, I think that there's something there for Randall and Beth. They are a fascinating couple. You know, we really could use 
a couple like this on TV, a family like this on TV that we follow them. I don't really know how the rest of the Pearsons ever come and, and play, but the way that they have them living in Philadelphia away from everybody else, you know, I think there's a good opportunity there. I really hope that that's, I know it's not, I mean, I'm hardly the first to discuss a spinoff with these two, but man, I hope that they consider it. Well, their story has great legs. Yeah. You know, they have kids of different ages, like we've discussed just now, Randall's compulsion to do good. That's never going to end. There's always going to be something new that he can do to help heal the city. We've got Beth's dancing school, which it's basically an autopilot until maybe we need more drama out of it at some point. But that, that doesn't mean there can't, there's a lack of story potential there. I see what you're saying. And it, it could make a pretty good show that would do the same as this show, which is balance real life stuff with enough comic relief that it doesn't make you want to just not watch the show ever again. Right. And I think that that, that family of any of the families, the, the sort of like small nuclear families, they do the best job of bringing in social issues, of bringing in what's going on in the, in the world today. Because he's a councilman, you have a very easy opportunity to like address public issues and things that are going on in the world today. It's a, such a natural, you know, move on their part. I don't know if Fogelman's interested in this. I don't know if this is something that NBC will we'll take to continue. it on. <laughs> we'll just write it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so what do you think about Randall's challenger response about how he had such a specific big hearted? I mean, thinking about the children. Oh, my goodness. And wanting to mail them mac and cheese to make sure they had dinner. My heart like exploded. Oh, I just felt so much. I know I have come to you in various times and said, I have to act on this. I, I have to. I know this sounds crazy, but I have to go to this person or I have to send something to this person because my heart is just exploding and I need to do do something. Do you relate to any of this or do you um, do you feel like they did a good job of sort of extrapolating out Randall's personality trait? I thought they did a great job. They did with all the kids a childhood version of how the adults were going to react, Right. With Randall, it's slower than he does it as an adult, but it's the same thing. He internalizes the disaster, whatever it is. In this case, it's the challenger. And at first, he doesn't have just a reactive, he, he can't even talk. Right. He's so, he so internalizes it. And then he takes it on his shoulders and wants to act in, a, in, in what, as a child, comes across as as thought out as a child's perspective can be. Can we send them macaroni? So sweet. But it's the same sort of thing that adult Randall does, where he becomes a city councilman to help people in a, in a disadvantaged neighborhood. Um, same kind of thinking, just applied from child to adult. So it's it was a it was a great match, and little Randall, you know, putting his uh, shuttle away. This wasn't the response of a child that was going to put away a toy that he just wasn't going to play with anymore. It was more of an adult putting away something that when he looked at something made him sad and he just couldn't bring on that, that feeling any more than he had to, because it was already there. Yeah. You know? Yes. And it was kind of like the national adult response to the, to the disaster at that time. You know, we had that and later in our, in our own lives, we had the Columbia disaster and it was the same kind of like mourning, like, I can't believe this happened. And But that's being projected onto this little kid. I think they did a great job in this episode again. I don't know where, I don't know where Randall and Beth land 
as we go through this whole season. Like, you know, normally the the first episode might set you up for, you know, where everyone's going to go and what, what you're going to see in this season. I'm not exactly sure. But at the same time, I think that they did a good job with that pilot, again, kind of going back and forth. Um, and we saw this with Kevin actually mentioning the Challenger in that pilot episode. I mean, what a wild callback. You know, if you yeah. had sat me down and said, did Kevin ever mention the Challenger in any episode? I would have been like, no, what are you talking about? No, in the pilot, he actually did. Amazing. So, I mean, I think we've seen some growth here that is is pretty wild and astounding. Now, let's move over to Nikki and Rebecca and Miguel, because these three had, you know, a very fascinating little dynamic. We knew that Sally was going to come back into play. Were yes. you happy that Rebecca just like put her foot down and was like, let's just move on this. I'm tired of talking about it. I have as a podcaster for the last five years or so on occasion questioned writers of television shows about why they did this or that and it's usually just kind of goes off into the void because i don't get an answer well one time i did made me reconsider ever doing that again because writers a sometimes listen to podcasts and b they are professional tv writers they did not fall into this job they worked their asses off for this job they know what they're doing i'm not gonna doubt that they changed Nikki from someone that was a suffer in silence type for the last 40 years. Let's say suffer in a bottle. Suffer in a bottle to someone that would just mope loudly in front of <laughs> other contemporaries. I was pretty surprised about that. <laughs> I was kind of surprised. Like, I really was. I was like, what? Like, is this totally him? But you know what? Remember They've how set he, him up a little bit. Yeah. No, remember how I acted when there was like the wedding planning and he yeah. was just like mouthing off and we were like, what is this yeah. personality? Like, we've never seen Nikki act like this. So you're right. I mean, there was, there was some, some laying of groundwork there. Instead of saying, boy, that's inconsistent. Look to the other episodes that were more recent mm -hmm. and see while it may not have been like this smooth gradation that you might expect or want. Nikki's not a primary player in this show. So they got to give it to us in just these Nikki's changing and Nikki's changing a little more. And now Nikki's done changed. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I'm excited to finally meet Sally. And I mean, I really feel comfortable that, you know, this, we, I think we know what's going to happen. I mean, they're, they're going to get together. We got to be. We beep beep. Beep beep is exactly right. If you guys don't remember from last season, we pointed out that that honk honk at Kevin's cabin is got to be Sally um, at the very end. So we feel confident about that one. So she's definitely coming. They're definitely getting together. Married is likely all those things. So happy endings for Nikki. I'm excited for that one. Now we've got to get to the sad portion of our show, which is Rebecca and what's happening with her. First of all, let's talk about her actual decline in health. It had to come, given everything that they've telegraphed, it had to start. You know, last season we got off lightly, if that's one thing that you might be able to say as a TV watcher, in that she didn't show much decline. But we know where she ends up and that she has to get there somehow. So the decline had to start, which is what we're seeing here with can't be, can't able to remember the word caboose. Personally, I can relate to this a little bit. I have headaches. I had taken certain medication at one point in my life that was supposed to help headaches. And instead, it didn't 
help headaches and it actually seemed to make me just slow-witted and shaved off IQ points every day. Do you remember that period, Carolyn? Oh, I do. <laughs> yes. I would also have a similar situation in just just talking, just random talking like Rebecca is doing with her grandchildren in the train sequence of this story running into a word that is not some exotic word that you've never used before in your life, you reach a blank and you cannot continue. That's what this medication was doing to my brain. If you noticed, while she was preoccupied with trying to remember this goddamn word, they actually had the montage of the whole birthday. The whole birthday was not celebrated through anyone else's eyes. We just saw like little blips and blabs while she's focusing on trying to remember this word. I stopped taking the pill and I got some of those IQ points back, but I still can remember that that frustration of not finding something that you know is there in your own mind. They represented very well in this episode. Have you ever had anything close to that? Just you counted on some part of your body or your mind and it just wasn't there. Sure. I, I think that one of the things of being a mom is they say you lose like one third of your brain with every kiddo. Uh, so sure, I feel like it absolutely, there's there's some muddy parts to my mind. But what I really appreciated about the whole thing, I think was Mandy Moore's performance. I mean, when you finally get to the end and she finds the word and says caboose her body just like is so depleted you know the way that she just falls back onto miguel her entire just i mean she just looks so drained like it took everything to make it through this this amount of time to find this word and she was so you know i guess um relieved on one hand and then at the same time, just so exhausted. Yeah. And and you could see the road ahead of her. You could see like, oh, my God, this is what's going to happen to her. Where it's just going to be, you know, more words and more appointments and more people's names and more stories that sort of get lost. I appreciated that they showed that she was able to remember this entire story with her father because this is so familiar where, like, say, with my own grandmother, she can tell you so much about her childhood and then not remember my name. She does not have Alzheimer's or anything, but this is just part of getting older as well. She struggles, you know, with, with remembering certain details of certain things, like like a word like that, mm -hmm. um, but still being able to tell the story from when she was so little. I think they did a great job of showing that, but man, the exhaustion on Mandy Moore's face, the delivery of the word caboose, oof, that was really good stuff. I mean, I, I think that's an Emmy-worthy clip there. I sure hope she does earn some recognition on this victory lap season because I think she might have been overlooked because she came in as more of a known as for singing than mm -hmm. acting. And there were all these other great performances that, that they wanted to celebrate. Well, that and remember, we spoke a lot at the if you can remember way back when, Paul, when we started covering this, we would often say the fifth Pearson Rebecca is forgotten so often. It's Jack and the kids. You know, we get to see all the kids' responses and Jack's Jack's little, like, stories to them and these, like, advice moments. But Rebecca was often, you know, on the outskirts. You know, she's leaning in a doorway, you know, looking kindly at them or something, you know, but she yeah. didn't really have her own stuff. This season feels like this isn't about anybody else. And, in fact, she's got a freaking headache. <laughs> she's not going to put up with this crap anymore. And, like, we're going to see her front and center and see her – 
feelings, her, um, you know, dealing with the world around her. And, you know, ultimately we know, and they, they sang that little song, Paul. I don't know if you caught the one little line, but it basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but it says, we all know how this is going to end. That's what the singer says. Mm-hmm. Oh, because we do know where this is all going to end. It's going to end with Rebecca's death. And, you know, I'll be fascinated to see if they decide to do like a six feet under where does everybody else go? Or if they're going to allow Randall and Beth to spin off from there, we don't know where they're going to try to pick up with these people. If you look at what we were just talking about with Rebecca's role in the family versus Jack, and then compare it to just in just this one episode, you might see that they might be positioning Rebecca to take on that center stage, center ring in, in the family on this final season. That splishy, splashy shit from Jack. Yeah, was that, weak, huh? That was like, that was <laughs> bunting onto base. You know, that was, <laughs> gets you there. But he's known for home run hits. No, and right? actually, and, and Rebecca was the one, you know, she's the one that went to Randall. And then she's the one who had the like end of the day reflection speech, mm-hmm. you know, about everything. So you're right. 100%. She's getting more of the lines. She's getting more of everything. Especially how you said in every other birthday sequence, we would have seen the birthday party from everybody else's POVs. And gosh, think of last year when they were at the cabin. Rebecca was sitting on the couch, but she had nothing to do with the birthday, you know, yeah. and nothing going on. So now, yeah, I mean, the entire birthday party sequence was through her you know, fuzzy memory and her outburst and her conversation and her, you know, explaining about where she is and her decline. So I think she is center stage. I mean, this is Rebecca's season. We know that, you know, we know mm-hmm. this is going to be it. So what are you expecting for the rest of this season? I mean, this is this is the big end. I mean, are you ready for this for this entire storylines to, to be wrapped up? So Kevin, he's got to come to Jesus or Madison or by himself or something. Well, we know it's not by himself because we know, quote unquote, mom is mentioned in the flash forward. Mom could just be Madison, biological mom, but not be married to That's Kevin. true. That's all true. But that journey is, I think, going to, we're not, I mean, yes. Are we going to see some of this rebooted Manny stuff? Yeah, probably. Oh, gosh. But I don't need to see that. Do you need to see well, that? I don't need to see show, that at we, all. We, we see a little bit of all of them, quote unquote, at work. Right. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll see some of that. But the, I mean, his journey is figuring out his family life because he still holds himself up to Jack. People love him because he's super dad. And that's what that's what Kevin wants wants to be. It makes sense, too. I mean, to finally see him build a home for himself and his family and to make the decision to take in Rebecca and to care for her to finally, you know, we made a lot of complaints at the beginning of our coverage about Kevin's selfishness in our, in our minds. So to see that he becomes the ultimate caretaker, not Kate, not Randall, that well, seems not even like Miguel. shocking. And well, if you continue on that, I hold myself up to Jack's standard as being this, this theme that Kevin, as he's gotten older, has gotten closer to. Part of Jack's deal would have been, I'm going to care for my wife until old age. But Jack's not here anymore. Hasn't been for a while. So I'm stepping in. I'm, I'm holding up dad's end of the deal because he's not here to do it. A thousand percent. Kate, like I said before, I think she is going to figure out herself in this way where she knows what she needs even better than she does at this point. So does, like I said before, does that, does that include the long discussed problem with weight? I don't think so. Is it figuring out what she needs for her family life? 
and what makes her happy? Yes. Does Toby complicate that with his own actions? I'm sorry, but I think so. I mean, I, you know, I lost all faith in Toby with the whole response to Jack and, and his blindness and that the only time that he seemed to be able to accept being a father of a blind child and reminder to listeners, we have a child who is deafblind, um, was when Jack could see the Christmas lights and then all of a sudden he was more interested in being the father. And I just said, I'm so angry. You know, they decided that Jack was, was worthy of having a father or worthy of him being a dad to him. Once he showed some ability to see some light, that just made me so mad. Mm -hmm. Like, what the heck? Why? Why? Why did you have to have that? I have fallen out of love with Toby a long time ago. You know, I know that they worked hard on having the gym, you know, partner being a, a big fat question mark about how far that went. But for me, I agree with you. I mean, she really found her calling at the blind school um, with the children and and being able to incorporate music and finding this ability to just sort of mesh all parts of her life you know her personal motherhood with her love of music and everything I think it's a really great storyline for her my curiosity for her I guess is is that long-standing fan theory that she uh, has already passed away mm -hmm. by the time we get to Rebecca's death where do you think we stand with that I think to an extent people like podcast listeners want to hear podcast hosts stick their flag in an opinion and just ride it out so that's what I'm gonna do I'm going to say that's all a red herring. She's fine. She's just late. That's that's where I'm going. No, I don't like that theory at all. <laughs> Cuz why would it be a big deal that they that they invite Toby, right? Hmm. And Philip's not there at that thing. Toby says, "I just talked to them. They they, they picked up Jack or something like that. They're on their way." It wasn't clear who the they were in the car. You know, is it Haley and Jack? Is it Kate and Jack? Is it Philip and Jack? Not sure who who's in the car. So that was the thing is that she's not there yet. Jack's coming with someone in a car. We don't know who. Okay. Revised Paul theory. <laughs> Are you unstaking your flag? Are you yanking what, no, it out I'm, of the ground? I'm, I'm, alt I'm moving my flag a little bit. Okay. I think it's a red herring and this is going to well, be unsatisfying red the that TV she dies on camera. But the TV show hasn't said she's died. This is all a fan theory. I know. So how could it be but a red herring? They're so manipulative. The way, <laughs> and they've done a very good job of showing you clips and things that make you think one thing, but it's they another. They haven't shown anything to imply that she's dead. They've literally shown nothing to imply she's dead. We know she's marrying Philip, so the fact that she's not in Toby's bed does not mean she's dead. It means that they're not together. Like, they haven't implied she's dead. Only the fans have been saying she's dead. There's mm. nothing else. They just came up with that. So that's what I'm saying. It can't be a red herring because the show isn't trying to make you go down that path. They're, they're definitely being unclear about who's in that car. But death wasn't necessarily, I don't, I don't see any indicator. There's nothing like, you know, oh, did you see they were walking from a cemetery or something? Like there wasn't anything <laughs> at any point that implied the woman was dead. It was just that when she wasn't there, and Toby was alone in a bed rather than anyone think that that they had divorced because there wasn't any grounds for that. The thought was she must have died. I don't think she's going to die. That's that's the long and the short of my theories. I don't think she's going to die this this season, even if they do skip ahead. Would they be skipping ahead years from from episode to episode? I don't think I don't, so. Well, maybe maybe snippets. They have to pull. They have to. I was actually shocked to not get a flash forward 
in this one. That's I can't true. believe we didn't get a flash That's forward. That's true. But in terms of like leaving these little babies like motherless during this season when they're still like very small, no, and, and they, I don't think so. And remember the ages of the kids because we know that Kevin's kids are contemporaries to Kate's kids and we saw Kevin's kids in the flash forward. We know they're like what roughly like 10. Yeah. That's what we said. So then that would make Jack and Haley only just about 10 years old. And Toby came alone to the deathbed meeting mm -hmm. and thanked them for inviting him. And his kids, if Kate was dead, would not be with Philip unless he had done some really not invite you to the deathbed kind of stuff. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, not dead. Not dead? <laughs> not dead. Not dead. I've never had any reason to believe she was dead. Like, I, I understood everything that people were saying where if you're if she's absent from the bed, Toby would never have divorced her. They never would have gotten divorced. So they have to be, they have to have had a death, right? But we know, and because they point out too that Toby wasn't wearing a wedding ring, but we also know that she marries Philip. That's, that's all clear. So you're right. I think that it's fair. And it's not like Jack and Haley are so old that they're adults and they have their own life. And so, you know, like I just said, is it Jack and Haley that come in the car? Well, no, they're only 10 years old. An adult has to be driving them, right? So it's got to be either Philip or Kate who are driving that car. If it's Philip, again, question mark, question mark. I mean, it, I have to think that Rebecca is going to die with all three of her children around her. It's very hard to believe that we don't. Now, again, we've seen shows like Six Feet Under, who, if you guys, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the show. It's been off the air for like 15 years, but I, okay. You know, put me on pause for a minute. But but if, they, if they're going to attack the season in a way where we like chunk out what happens to each group and, or even each main character where you've got to go, go, go and show everything all the way to the end, then... I mean, in some way, it, there is some satisfaction to bringing Kate's life to completion. You know, like we do know what happens to her, you know, mm -hmm. we're not going to continue with her. We know what happens. It also a little bit makes it easier to have the spinoff with Randall and Beth. If you were to go that direction, because you could kind of be like you'd have no Miguel and Rebecca and all that stuff to visit in with. You don't have Kate and all this to visit in with. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you only just have like a brother, Kevin, who maybe bebops in now and then. I personally am not getting the vibe that she, she's dead at the point of Rebecca's deathbed scenes. However, I don't even get how we get away from Toby and Mary Phillips. So I need a lot of blanks filled in here before I can make like a better guess. So that's where we're going with Kate. Now, Randall, I, I mean, think you know his progression. His, I think it's pretty clear. He's, he's figuring out how he can help people like David this season. He's not adopting a Deja. He's not buying a building. He's not running for councilman. He's figuring out um, mental health for people that can't afford mental health. I see that. I agree with you. And I think what a cathartic thing for him, given that his anxiety has been so crippling at points for him to be able to actually maybe create a center, maybe add like a program to the shelter. I think that, it matters that, that David's problem is memory. You're right. And and of course that Rebecca's is too. So maybe there is a in memoriam of mom, you know, mm -hmm. or something, some sort of research, something there too. I could see a lot going on there. But addiction, you know, for his father, William, for his brother, Kevin, you know, for his dad, Jack. You know, there's a lot there, too, that I could see there being a program that he sets up. And none of that is like an exclusion of each other. You could have a mental health program that deals with various issues, you know. And I think you'll have various, you know, 
Beth problem of the week. I mean, if you go this season without bringing back Felicia Rashad for a couple oh, episodes, so then, then you've done a bad job <laughs> with Randall's family. I'll be sad. Well, and, and also Dave we just have... want to go see Malik. Yeah. Well, uh, and man, is little Annie ever going to have a storyline? Because that kid can't has some acting chops. I mean, when are they going to let her come? Annie's going to try crystal meth. No, I don't want to see that. <laughs> She's going to start. She kidnapping befriends people. David. Right. Things go bizarre. <laughs> she has a switchblade. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. They start calling her Knife. <laughs> knife Pearson. <laughs> Little Blady. <laughs> right. No, no, no. None of that. None of that. But no, I'm looking forward to this season and I'm I'm happy we're finally getting back on track. You guys, we have four episodes back to back, but then we're taking a break for the Olympics. So I'm hoping that everyone is going to stick in there after the Olympics are over and come back and join us. But for this week, this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts please give us a five star rating and help other people find this podcast or even just tell your mom your neighbor your aunt everybody you can about our podcast and hope that they listen to it too thanks a lot thanks for listening thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.